Come on in and grab a seat, y'all. Let's get started this morning. Uh, let's begin this morning by praying some psalms. Let's start with Psalm 46. We'll pray Psalm 46 and Psalm 47. This is on page 802 of your hymnal. 802. Psalm 46. We'll pray these psalms responsively. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. The Lord Almighty is with us. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord Almighty is with us. Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. Indeed, Father, we exalt you this morning. Um, we thank you um, that you are an ever-present help in time of trouble. And Father, that you are our refuge and our strength, a strong tower and fortress that we can confide in, Father, that we can um, take shelter in. And I pray this morning as we worship that that is what we would do. We would take shelter um, within you, Father, um, through your Son, whom you have given us. And we pray that you would grant us um, grace and wisdom this morning as we consider um, things of your word. We pray um, that you would prepare our hearts to worship you as you renew again your covenant with us this Lord's Day. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, well, this morning I wanted to um, acknowledge and create space to talk about um, the events in our community the last 40, 24 hours. Um, if you don't know, um, haven't followed the news reports um, yesterday morning about this time, um, the Jewish uh, synagogue down the road called Congregation Beth Israel um, was holding their 
Sabbath services when a, 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 we don't know all the details, but apparently a, a gunman entered, a man with a weapon entered um, the worship service and um, took hostage at least some of the people that were there um, that morning uh, for worship. And uh, that led to a standoff um, for about um, 11 hours, I believe, before it was finally resolved um, last evening. Um, all the hostages are alive and well and unharmed. Um, one was released um, uh, partway through the negotiations, and then the other three were, uh, it appears, rescued um, by um, the SWAT team that came in, uh, the hostage rescue team that came in. Apparently, that flew from D.C. during the day, got on a plane, this highly specialized federal hostage rescue team um, flew to DFW and uh, sort of took over operations, and we don't, you know, know the details of why they acted when they did or what exactly happened. I'm sure some of that will come out eventually, um, but they, they went in, and the other three remaining hostages were freed, and um, the gunman was uh, killed. Um, uh, we don't know exactly how, but he died. Uh, we know that he's dead. Um, so, so all of that took place. Um, yesterday. I'm just about two miles down the road from here, um, which is really hard to wrap our, my mind around. Um, even being here this morning, it just makes it more kind of real and um, actual. Um, I, uh, not close friends in any way, um, but am acquainted with and friendly with um, Rabbi Charlie, um, who is the uh, the leader of that Jewish synagogue down the road um, and was one of the hostages um, taken. Um, it was one of the hostages who was freed at the end of the operation last night. Um, he uh, is a kind and decent man, as far as I can tell. Certainly very committed to um, the well-being of our community and um, um, to his neighbors. Um, he has... Uh, you know, worked hard um, actually for some time um, now in Colleyville and in surrounding areas to build dialogue between um, particularly um, Jews and Muslims, um, as well as you know Christians um, to some extent, but primarily Jews and Jews and Muslims. You may you may not know this, but we have two um, Islamic worship centers. You know, one just like <laughs> you could throw a rock at it right here, and then just down the road on Brown Trail, there's another one about a mile and a half um, south of us. Um, so we have um, two Islamic um, worship centers, um, you know, right within a very small radius of our worship facilities or our sanctuary as well. Um, so uh, the, the way in which I know Rabbi Charlie is that um, about five years ago when Mayor Richard Newton um, came into office in Colleyville, um, he's the present mayor of our city, of this city, um, he started what he calls the Ministerial Alliance, which I've participated in. Um, also, uh, our church staff, Donna and Patrick, have also gone um, to those meetings um, over the years at times. Um, so basically, it was, it's not any big, you know, super organized thing. Basically, it's just a quarterly meeting that the mayor hosts at um, the city offices where he invites all the kind of religious leaders in the community, which are, of course, mostly Christian um, uh, but, you know, there, there's also uh, the, the Mormon folks show up. Um, um, I don't know that I've ever seen the Islamic 
Muslim leaders come to those meetings, but Rabbi Charlie has been a regular attender of those meetings. Um, and basically, he's just trying to build dialogue and friendship between religious leaders in the community, uh, pastors and other clergy, um, because uh, Mayor Newton himself is a devout, um, pious um, Christian, good man, um, faith, faithful man. Um, I don't know the ins and outs of whatever the politics of Colleyville are. Um, I'm not a Colleyville resident, but I um, have personally great respect for Mayor Newton. Um, he, you know, knows, I feel like I know him fairly well. We've had a number of conversations over the last five years, and um, he's obviously had to lead the city these past couple years through some, you know, the, the all the pandemic stuff, and, you know, at times Colleyville has gotten some attention because they've, um, of decisions that he's made um, uh, throughout the pandemic in terms of not shutting everything down quite as tightly as other uh, localities have, even in Texas, that kind of thing. Um, but Mayor Newton, um, I have great respect for him and really appreciate his heart, even in hosting those meetings. Um, he's he's kind, humble, generous man. Um, and also, I've been involved for all that time as well in giving, regularly giving invocations at the um, Colleyville City Council meetings, um, at least, you know, two or three times a year usually. Um, they have a rotation of different clergy that come and give prayer um, at, before city council meetings, pray for the mayor, pray for this council, pray for the city. Um, so, so anyway, so it, it's just kind of a, for me, just sort of a surreal, almost kind of surreal experience. I mean, I was at, you know, the town hall um, 10 days ago praying before city council meeting. I was talking with Michael Miller, um, the police chief, who I've known since he came here maybe four years ago or so, became the new police chief. He is also a devout, uh, pious um, Christian man, um, good man. He actually, when he moved here, talked to me about, you know, maybe I'll come visit your church. He never did, but that was uh, kind of him to do that. Um, but he seems like a really, you know, just humble, good guy, um, um, you know, very faithful um, in his work. Um, reminds me a great deal of our, one of our members, Mike Hamlin, um, who's the police chief in Grapevine, um, who's a member of our church and also, um, you know, leads the great Grapevine police force in a similar manner in terms of his humility and, and um, concern for others and concern for his employees, that kind of thing. Um, so just bizarre to, you know, think that I was talking to Chief Miller um, just, you know, last week, basically, and now he's like on national news, you know. Um, giving this press conference. He did a wonderful job, I thought, at the press conference that he held last night um, after everything was concluded. I would encourage you to go find it on YouTube or wherever um, if, if you, have, there's, if you um, haven't seen it. I think it's a, yeah, just, I just appreciate you can see his heart. And even his heart for Rabbi Charlie. He, you know, because of the Ministerial Alliance, knew Rabbi Charlie and um, personally and was obviously greatly concerned for his safety, even as he led a lot of the, um, especially the, I'm sure the initial um, response to the situation before the FBI and others got directly involved. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to acknowledge that all that took place and to acknowledge to you that um, yesterday was a pretty uh, bizarre day for me. I was, you know, in my office writing a sermon, um, sort of following uh, this event that was taking place right down the road um, with someone that I knew 
involved and just trying to imagine with, uh, you know, Rabbi Charlie is married and has children and, um, uh, you know, probably a little bit older than me, but not a ton. Um, so, you know, just a, just a really bizarre experience to be thinking about that. You know, here I am feeling perfectly safe in my office, um, not really concerned about anything, and just two miles down the road, there's a man that I know with a, a gun pointed at him, literally, um, for hours. Um, and, um, yeah, so just a, just a very strange, uh, certainly for me, disconcerting experience to follow those things yesterday. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that and, and say, how are you doing, <laughs> basically? Um, how are you all feeling um, about this? Anybody have questions or comments or thoughts? Yeah, Donna. Yes. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing all those things, Donna. I can certainly uh, relate in terms of the 
just the concern and connection I feel to the city. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Anybody else have anything that they want to just want to give a room for dialogue or conversation this morning around these things? Anyone else have thoughts they want to share or questions or comments? Yes, ma'am. You mean at the press conference? Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and right now we don't, you know, there's much that is not known or has not been released um, to the public. Um, certainly if you go online right now, you can find a lot of theories or, you know, people um, that, um, yeah, have ideas about why uh, the man uh, acted in the manner that he did yesterday, um, what his motivations were. I would encourage us to be patient and to wait um, for kind of confirmation, you know, in terms of just, we don't, we don't know exactly. I think, as Donna mentioned, I think the word terrorism is not inappropriate to use, um, uh, but we don't, we don't know everything at this point in terms of what, what he wanted and um, what he was after. Yeah, you're close, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, my understanding is it sort of became a, I mean, it's a bizarre thing, right? But it sort of became a, people found out that that was happening, that the live stream was still going, and so you, it kind of became this like news story, you know, people logging on over the country trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, what a crazy. Right, yeah. Yeah, and obviously, um, yeah, you know, it just, it was just not turned off by whoever, whoever was in charge of that, either was taken hostage or left abruptly um, the building, yeah. Yeah, that was a very strange dynamic. I saw that too for a few seconds. Yep. Yep. Anything else? I'll just, I'll ask the, I think 
fairly obvious question. How's everybody doing about being in a worship space this morning, two miles from where this took place? Okay. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I agree. I agree with that, that sentiment. Um, but I also want to acknowledge that um, I can see there's a tension, yeah, in <laughs> um, knowing that, um, you know, obviously I don't think there's any logical or, um, you know, um, necessary reason why we would be less safe today than we would be any other Sunday. Um, it seems as though um, what took place on the road um, was a very specific thing. Um, but it certainly is true that, um, you know, people who gather for public worship um, have been targets of, of violent men. Um, that's not exclusive to Jews or Christians. Um, and there is there is a risk inherent in that. So we, it's not wrong for us to acknowledge that. And certainly, as you think about Christian history, um, you know, worship has um, never been safe fully. You know, um, that's it's a it's a it's a courageous thing to come assemble publicly and worship God. And here, I'm not so much for talking about you know what happened yesterday at the synagogue, but what Christians have done for 2,000 years. Um, and I think, I think we should be honest about that as American, or as modern Americans. I think sometimes we have this idea that, well, we should be able to guarantee everybody's safety. Um, and I'm not saying we shouldn't take precautions and be wise in terms of safety, um, but we should also acknowledge that um, for 2,000 years, Christian worship has um, not necessarily always been safe that it's at times been dangerous and that's that's okay um, that's okay yeah donovan yeah it is Right. Yeah, absolutely. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. I agree with you. That is a appropriate sentiment for today, um, and all every Lord's Day. But yes, certainly today. Yeah, Trudy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was alluding to. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. There are there are illegal churches um, in all over the globe today um, who much more appropriately have reason to be afraid of interruption by men who would do them harm. Um, and if you look at Christian history, that's been true for two thousand years. Um, so we, yeah. I think I think we need to remember that and acknowledge that that um, there is nothing wrong with embracing some element of risk 
to worship God publicly. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's not, you know, it's not unusual in the context of history. And, um, Well, I appreciate all of you um, being here and just even acknowledging that um, event that took place in our community um, so recently. Um, we're going to pray, of course, during the worship service um, for um, Congregation Beth Israel and for Colleyville and for um, Rabbi Charlie, and I obviously would like to do that. And we'll do that now for a minute as well, unless there are any other comments or thoughts or things that you all want to someone wants to kind of get off their chest. Yeah, Kim. Yes. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, I appreciate that. Kim was saying, just echoing my gratitude for the Christian leadership that exists in this city and what a blessing that is. And I want to echo that. I, I am really grateful um, that Police Chief Miller was the man who was in charge yesterday, um, that Mayor Newton was, you know, I'm sure running, doing things behind the scenes to um, communicate with those who need to be communicated with and... Um, yeah, they share our values, and even beyond that, I think it, knowing that the Holy Spirit has been at work in both of those men for however many decades they follow Jesus and um, the kind of character that forms um, in people over time um, is a great argument for Christian leadership even in the secular realm, um, politically and law enforcement the military, those kinds of things. So, yes, very grateful. Very grateful um, that we are in a city that have has the kind of leadership that Colleyville does. I'm thankful for it. Let me pray for, uh, pray for us and pray for um, our neighbors as well. Um, Father, we do give you thanks this morning um, for the resolution to this um, situation um, that took place um, yesterday. Um, I'm grateful, Father, that it's over. Um, I'm thankful um, for your kindness in preserving the lives of um, these uh, men or women who were taken hostage um, and held for uh, so many hours against their will um, and separated from their families. Um, Father, my heart just aches. Um, even thinking about, you know, yes, they're safe today, but this is an experience that um, they and their spouses and their children and their loved ones will carry with them the rest of their lives um, in this day when they thought that they might die um, and had reason to think that that, that might take place. And, um, and so we pray for Rabbi Charlie. I pray for the other individuals who were... Um, taken as hostage yesterday. I pray for their spouses, for their children, for their loved ones, that you would bring healing um, uh, to these men and women and children, Father, 
that you'd be gracious to them, um, that you would allow them to sleep at night and not be afraid. Um, you would give them uh, peace, Father. Um, Father, we pray for that whole congregation of um, the Congregation Beth Israel. and um, We pray, I just can only imagine the kind of trauma um, that will be present uh, for that congregation in weeks and months and years to come. And so I pray for them, Lord. I pray for um, their leadership. I pray for um, those who are part of that um, group of people, Lord. I ask that you be merciful to them. Um, you would be kind, that you would help our city to know how to um, love them well. Um, we pray um, for mercy, Father, even, um, even mercy, Lord, um, from you uh, towards them. We, we don't know how an event like this might impact people spiritually, um, emotionally, and so we pray for mercy um, from you, Father for that uh, group of men and women and children. Father, I pray um, also for our city leadership. I give you thanks for um, Police Chief Miller and for um, the Colleyville Police Department, um, the men and women that serve there. I thank you for uh, Mayor Newton and for the city staff and all those who um, who's were drawn into this um, in different ways yesterday, Lord. We pray that they would be able to uh, rest and recover um, from this experience and that you would give um, Police Chief Miller and Mayor Newton and others um, who will undoubtedly be put in um, under the microscope um, by the media or whoever it might be. Father, you would give them wisdom as they um, hold press conferences, as they maybe do interviews, whatever it might look like, Father. Um, as there is even national and global interest in what took place here um, yesterday. I pray for um, that their, their character, their maturity would show forth um, even in, in dealing with that kind of pressure and uh, visibility, uh, Lord. Uh, Father, we pray um, for our church. I pray for all of us as we are sorting through our own emotions about this um, event that took place, that you would grant us um, confidence that you are our safe place, Father, that you are our refuge and our tower, um, that we do not put our trust in princes uh, because princes fail us. Uh, we put our trust in the name of the Lord, I pray that be true for our congregation, Father. I pray that we would continue to worship boldly, um, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, um, trusting that you will defend and protect and care for us. I pray that you would um, grant us that grace, Father. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> oh, goodness. Like I said, I'm disconcerted this morning. Um, all right, so we've got about 25 minutes. So we can do a little gentle and lowly today. That's what I'm going to say. Mike, will you help me hand these out?
maybe Donovan for you as well. Thank you, sir. So I should say what I'm trying to accomplish in this um, Sunday School series as we look at gentle and lowly together, um, I am not trying to do a comprehensive summary of every chapter, every paragraph of this work. I think that would be challenging. Um, part of it's just because of the way that, you know, Dane has written this book. Um, you know, that some books that we've looked at have been a bit more systematic in terms of the way that they've developed one central argument. I think Dane's book is more, um, you know, moves from one topic to an, another one. Um, uh, certainly all the same sort of, you know, trajectory generally um, about the heart of Christ, um, but, but it, it's hard to just sort of summarize everything. Uh, rather, what I'm trying to do is just give you a place to talk about what you're reading, um, for me to give you some comments on what I'm reading as I read this work and to help us just kind of read it together and talk about it, think about it, um, because I think it's a book that's worth uh, reading. So the book is Gentle and Lowly. Um, there are copies in the foyer if you don't have one. Hopefully you do, um, but please take one. I've also got a box of other copies behind the, the wall there. So lots of, lots of copies for you. Um, don't be shy. Um, so before we start, before I start making some comments, I just want to say, you know, are there questions, are there things that have confused you or the things that you're like, what, is, what does he mean when he says that? I'm not sure I understand that or I'm not sure I agree with that. Uh, particularly in the first 10 chapters or so. Today we're going to try to talk, at least give a sort of, you know, very brief overview of some of the chapters 6 to 10. Um, anything that jumps out? Yes, Kim. Yeah. For big sins? Yeah. Is there a place that you're looking at particularly? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay, helpful, thank you. So Kim is looking at page 90. Um, uh, chapter 8 is about Christ's work as an intercessor, and chapter 9 is about Christ's work as an advocate. <coughs> um, <coughs> and then Dane makes this statement on, on the upper or top part of page 90. He says, do you see the difference? Intercession is something Christ is always doing, while advocacy is something he does as occasion calls for it. Apparently he intercedes for us given our general sinfulness, but he advocates for us in the case of specific sins. Um, and then he, he, um, he goes uh, and, and uses this quote from Paul Bunyan. He says, Bunyan explains it like this, Christ as priest goes before, and Christ as an advocate comes after. Christ as priest continually intercedes. Christ as advocate in case of great transgression pleads. Maybe that's what you're thinking of specifically, yeah. Um, Christ as priest has need to act always, but Christ as advocate sometimes only. Um, Christ as priest in times of peace, but Christ as advocate in times of broils, turmoils, and sharp contentions. Wherefore, Christ as advocate is, as I may call him, a reserve, and his time is then to arise, to stand up and plead when his own are clothed with some filthy sin that of late they have fallen into. So I think that's probably what you're referring to, right? 
Yeah. Um, sometimes we sin big sins, Dane says on the next page on 91, I see that now. And that's what Christ's advocacy is for. It's God's way of encouraging us not to throw in the tail. Um, okay, yeah, what do we do with that? Um, so I will say um, what I said, we were talking about some of the things that Dane writes in um, Woman's Bible Study um, this week. And I made the comment, I don't think that this book is a book of rigorous theology. And um, I, yeah, I think it's fair to say it's not a book of rigorous theology. Um, um, it, it is other things, but that's not one of the things that it is. Um, and I, I think, how do, I guess I would say I don't love the way that Dane talks here about the differences between, I don't love that Bunyan quote, um, between intercession and advocacy. I mean, part of the issue is that we don't have a lot in the scriptures that talk about Jesus's intercession and his, ad, his role as advocate. So to my knowledge, this, this is just kind of off the top of my head, but to my knowledge, the only place where the scriptures describe Jesus as our advocate is in 1 John. Someone can correct me if they're, they know something uh, else. Um, 1 John 2, chapter, or 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Um, so, so we've got that in terms of the sacred scriptures, um, but we don't have a lot else, um, to my knowledge, that really describes what it means for Jesus to be our advocate or how we certainly don't have any apostolic writings on how Christ's advocacy um, fits with his role as an intercessor and how those things play out. So I would say I think that um, probably Bunyan and Ortland following him um, are being a bit speculative, um, more speculative than I would be, certainly, in terms of how those things relate to one another. Um, yeah, so I, if, if I was to say, you know, to talk about these things, I would certainly be using a lot more disclaimers and, and hedging than, than Dane is doing or Bunyan is doing. Um, that this, you might, you might say, this might be one way of thinking about the difference of those two things, you know? And I certainly think there's a role for creative theology and really trying to unpack what the scriptures are saying, even when the scriptures don't give us a lot of detail. But we do have to be careful that we're not claiming to authoritatively describe something that we don't necessarily know. And I, I don't think there's anything in the scriptures that give us reason to be confident to say, um, you know, as Bunyan does, that Christ as priest continually intercedes. Christ as advocate in case of great transgression pleads. Um, that, I don't see any basis in the scriptures, I would say, just simply to make that distinction. I think we should say Jesus, we can describe Jesus' present role as priest, um, that part of what he is doing is um, interceding for us. Um, and certainly that's a, you know, I think the scriptures teach us, teach that clearly. Um, Westminster Larger, question 55 is on your handout. Um, it says, how does Christ, well, I'll read both of these. I think they're both helpful. Uh, Larger Catechism, question 30, 44. I mean, one of the things I love about the Westminster Standards is 
they don't do a lot of speculation, right? Um, that they really try to like not only say what the scripture says and not say more than what the scripture says. So I'm really grateful for that as a theological um, standard. Um, so 44 says, how does Christ execute the office of a priest? Christ executes the office of a priest and his once offering himself a sacrifice without spot to God to be a reconciliation for the sins of the people and in making continual intercession for them. And much of this, of course, is based off of the chapters of Hebrews that we've been looking at recently this fall and winter in our um, sermon series um, that Christ lives always to intercede um, for his people, um, that he um, is, you know, has offered himself once for all. He's died once for all as a sacrifice for our sins, those kinds of things. So then 55 goes, expands on this. How does Christ make intercession? Christ makes intercession by his appearing in our nature continually before the Father in heaven and the merit of his obedience and sacrifice on earth, declaring his will to have it applied to all believers, answering all accusations against them, which I would think would be probably connected to the advocate part. Um, I don't know the proof text that they use there because um, I didn't put it in the quote, but I, it might, it would not surprise me if it was First John 2. And procuring for them quiet of conscience, notwithstanding daily failings, access with boldness to the throne of grace and acceptance of their persons and services. Um, so just real quickly, I would comment, I think that, that in some sense, being an advocate and Christ being an intercessor are two different ways of saying basically the same thing. Um, you know, that they're not necessarily two really distinct actions that Jesus does for us. They're a part, they're um, different perspectives on his present ministry for us in heaven. Um, and that is probably how I would talk about advocacy and intercession. I, I think it's fine for us to talk about them and have you know, a chapter in a book on one and a, another chapter on the other. But yeah, he seems to kind of set them at odds with one another or make too large a distinction, I would say. Um, yeah, that's what, that's what I would say. Um, I, th I think we also, we wanna be careful, you know, whenever we're thinking about Christ being an intercessor for us or an advocate for us with the Father. Um, that's clearly a biblical sentiment, but we need to be careful not to go beyond where the scripture goes, which is, um, friends, you don't need to worry that God is perpetually angry at you and Jesus is just trying to like hold it back. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think that's something that, you know, the, the son does all that he does because of the father's will. Um, the son, as our standards talk about so wonderfully, one of the greatest chapters in the standards has to do with Christ as our mediator. Christ is our mediator. He is the one that goes between us and God. Um, and certainly he receives um, the Father's, the judgment of God for our sin on the cross. But, but um, I think it is important for us to say that, that that's not somehow contrary to the desire of the Father um, for Christ to die for our sin or for Christ to be, um, his sacrifice to be fully sufficient. Does that make sense? Like we, I think we wanna be careful not to um, create too great, make too, go down that road to the place where we, we think that somehow the son is like protecting us from the father um, continually. Um, that's, that's not, it's the emphasis on Christ's continual intercession, his advocacy for us is so that we will be assured um, that we can enter the presence of God um, never 
on our own merit, never on our own righteousness, but through the one who is perfect, through the one who has died for us, through the one who has given us um, continual access into the presence of God, even in his ascended, uh, risen flesh, um, his human nature uh, before the face of God. Does that make sense? Do you think about those things? Yeah, Trudy. Yes. Right. 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 Yes, in Christ. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm not sure what I think about that phrase. God saves us from himself. Yeah. I can see I can see how it's trying to do some work theologically. It maybe not something I would say from the pulpit, but I, I can see I can see what it's trying to do there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, I think I think I understand what they're trying to do there in terms of the the reconciling the justice and the mercy of God at the same time. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there is one place, this came up in Bible study, and I wanted to point it out because it is a place where I think that, um, I, I, I guess I just want to make sure we're, nobody's getting confused. So in chapter 3, um, Dane has a chapter called The Happiness of Christ. Um, and on page 38, so he's talking about how Jesus, how his desire is for the forgiveness of our sins and to reconcile us to God and that he and which I totally agree with I think that's all right um, that certainly it's appropriate to talk about Jesus having desire and certainly that is a, a fundamental element of his um, his desire um, according to um, his human nature and his divine nature for that matter um, he says on the bottom of page 38 to put it the other way around when we hold back in the shadows, fearful and failing, we miss not only our own increased comfort, but on Christ's, we miss out not nearly on our own increased comfort, but on Christ's increased comfort. He lives for this. This is what he loves to do. His joy and ours rise and fall together. Um, again, I would say this is not a book of rigorous theology, um, because I think if you're writing a book of rigorous theology, you would not say that. Um, you don't want to create a situation where it appears as though somehow God's happiness is dependent upon our response um, to his grace and his mercy and his kindness. And I, I'm not saying that's necessarily what Dane believes. I don't think it would be what he believes. Um, but it certainly, you can read that and that can be where you end up. I think it's, I think it's a it's an not very careful articulation of... Um, of what he's trying to say is probably how I would put it. So I just want to say that clearly that um, the joy of Jesus and our joy don't rise and fall together. Jesus is eternally joyful at the Father's right hand and um, his joy is not lost um, based on whether or not you come to him for 
in all the ways you should come to him. Um, and I'm really grateful for that, personally. I don't want Jesus' joy to be dependent upon my uh, repentance or uh, my you know, desire to be forgiven or the, whatever it might be. Um, so I would just say, again, I'm, not, I'm just trying to say, um, yeah, I'm just trying to say that. Yeah, Roy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> now we're now we're okay. I see what you're trying to say. Yes, that is a great question, Roy. I don't know if I'm I'm I am capable in this moment of answering it. Um, um, this is theologians have wrestled with this as they talk about the impassibility of God, right? That God doesn't change in any fundamental way. Um, and yet, um, you know, the question becomes then how do you reconcile um, what you see in especially the, the human, the incarnation of Jesus? I mean, even there are ways that you try to reconcile that with, um, you know, places where it talks about God repenting in the Old Testament, for example, when he's going to judge Israel and then Moses intercedes and it says God repented and he did does that mean he changed in some fundamental way um, so what I would say um, Roy is that we are certainly moving beyond um, the realm of things that are easily grappled with um, according to our human experience and into the realm of the divine and the heart of God I would certainly want to say that Jesus' joy is constant, that it is fixed. But I would also want to say that does Jesus delight in um, the repentance of sinners and the, recon- the, the opportunity to um, continually see his, his people increase? Yes, I think I would also want to say that. And I'm not totally sure how to, you know, absolutely reconcile those things. I think part of the response that I'm giving um, to, to Dane's words here are not so much that Jesus's joy rises with the, um, you know, the, the, the reconciliation of sinners, but that it falls, that he is less happy if somehow I disappoint him or I don't do things the way that I, I should do. I think that's a dangerous, you know, maybe there's a way in which Jesus's joy can both be infinite um, right now because he is uh, confidently in the presence of his father and yet it can also increase um, as his kingdom continues to expand and he continues to see all the promises that are yes and all men in him be fulfilled um, in human history. Um, Maybe there's a way to hold both those things in tension. Yeah, Lauren. Lauren's going to solve it. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. That in terms of his humanity, yes, there is a, a sense in which he rises and falls. But of course, being that he is um, eternally God, there can be no, uh, he is immutable. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as mm-hmm. forever you flowing as the, as the Catholics used to say. Yes, certainly it's connected to those things. 
So here, here's where I would just, in terms of biblical exegesis, um, Dane tries to build a case. Is this biblical? He considers Hebrews 12, where Jesus talks about, um, or where the apostle describes Jesus as the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he, and he I think he, my, in my view, overly simplistically argues that for the joy set before him, that the joy set before him is fully, uh, encapsulated in Jesus's priestly work. It is certainly true that Jesus sat down and um, made intercession for sins, um, that he was a priest for God, and certainly part of his joy um, was uh, the reconciliation and saving of sinners. Um, that was certainly part of the joy that was set before him um, by which he endured the cross and despised its shame. But I think I think Dane doesn't, he, well, he doesn't. He doesn't talk at all in this chapter about another element of the joy that was set before him, which I think if you read um, the Upper Room Discourse, you get the sense of Jesus's, and again, I don't know how fully to understand or unpack this, um, but his desire to return to his father, he talks about that. He says, you're gonna be sorrowful, but I'm not gonna be sorrowful, right? Um, he talks about wanting wanting to go um, to his father and make a place um, for his disciples. I think part of the joy that was set before Jesus was um, the way in which he would return to his father's presence um, and that he would, in some sense, grow in glory himself um, through death and then resurrection and ascension to the father's right hand, that that would be a in some way, again, according to Jesus' human nature, would be a transformative experience for him um, that he anticipated and, and longed for. And I, I think partly what I'm saying here is that we want to locate God's joy um, fundamentally within himself, within his own triune person, um, that God delights in the eternal communion that he has shared uh, within himself for all eternity. Um, that, that Jesus, um, when he ascended to heaven, did so um, with glad shouts of adulation and um, praise from the angels and from the saints, um, the, um, the souls of the saints that were in the presence of the Father that he, in some sense, probably led into God's presence in a different way um, his, in his ascension. Like, all of those things together. We would not want to, I guess what I'm saying is I don't want to locate Jesus' joy simply in you and I and our subjective response to his work. I think that, I think that's unhelpful. And for me, it's, it's like, I, I want to have a savior who is joyful, um, whose joy is certain, um, who, whose joy I can enter into because it precedes me and is not dependent upon me. Um, so anyway, just some things to think about as you're reading. Um, we'll continue to talk and wrestle with the book. I mean, really, this is how I want to encourage us to read. To read carefully, to read um, through the lens of the scriptures, to read in conversation and dialogue with one another. Um, that's how we gain wisdom, um, whatever it is that we're reading, um, whether it's you know, this book or, or other works as well. All right, let's, uh, let's stand and pray this morning as we close. Father in heaven, we thank you for... Um, our Savior. We thank you for his continual intercession and advocacy for us at your right hand. Um, Father, we pray um, that you would give us, even this morning, a sense of the joy um, that Jesus has now 
in your presence fully and that we would enter into it through our union with him and trust that it is enough even today for us in our lives. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.